Amen. I want you to think of uh, just here by way of introduction the makeup of our church. Sure to look around at one another here. You look around and you see you see different ethnicities. You see you see people from Canada and people from Africa and Mexico and the Dominican Republic and we have white folks here. We have black folks here. We have rich people. We have poor people. We have old people and young people here amongst us, brethren. I want you to see that and yet and yet, you don't look around and see someone and think, oh, this is what their ethnicity is, or this is how rich or poor they are, or how young and how old they are. Yet you look around and what do you see? You see your brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, that's my sister, that's my brother in the Lord. And I tend to believe that we take that for granted and not think just how radical that is. Just to think how supernatural that is. That we have people from all different walks of life gathered together underneath the banner of Christ, worshiping with one another. Especially in light of what we see in our world today, brethren. Especially in light. This is a supernatural thing that we have, we have gathered as one body, as it says here. One body in Christ to worship the true and the living God. There's a story of Perpetua. Uh, Perpetua uh, was in the Roman Empire and she was died a martyr. Maybe you've heard of her. In about 325 AD, uh, she died for her faith. She was fed to the lions. Uh, her and some other of her Christian brothers and sisters. And if you remember that story, uh, her dad, when he found out she was a Christian, was livid. And even more so that she was gathering in worship with one of their slaves. Her name was Felicitas. And her dad is rebuking her. You hang out with the slave woman? And Perpetua says, she is my sister. That's my sister. That is the radical transformation given, brethren, by the gospel of Jesus Christ and what He is accomplishing in this world. Through the gospel, through the work of Christ, God has created, as Nick said last week, a new humanity, a new people, and is bringing peace to the world. Now, you look out, and you look out your window, brethren, and you see what's going on here. We have... Russia at war with Ukraine. There is tension. There's hostility between China and Taiwan. There in the South China Sea over there, there is tension. Uh, there is hostility between China and America. Uh, with the nations of the world, look at what's going on in Myanmar. Hostility. Look at what's going on in our own country. The divide, brethren, is deep, and it is deepening to some degree, most certainly white versus black, Mexican versus black. The divide, brethren, it's, it's real. It's real. And it's real at, doesn't matter how old you are, I see this in my own school, this deep divide between ethnicities and nationalities and fighting going on because people look different from one another. And you might ask the question to yourself, Shall there be peace? Shall there be peace? That's the message, or the title of the message this morning. Shall there be peace? Is that even possible? 
Is that even possible? Shall there be, shall we have peace? And I will answer that question with an emphatic yes. Oh, we shall have peace. Peace will come, right? You believe that? Yes, right? It, it, yes, we're going to have peace. It will happen under the banner of Christ, the Prince of Peace. We will have peace. God is bringing peace, brethren, to the most hostile peoples of the world. He's doing that in the church by the power of His Spirit. But it doesn't come, brethren, peace doesn't come through peace treaties. It doesn't come with agreements of, okay, I won't bomb you and you, do, and, 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 and you don't bomb me, and so we're going to have peace. That's not how peace comes in the world, church. Peace comes through the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. That's what we, what we read here in our passage. Jesus died to kill the hostility and make peace amongst His people. One of my favorite storylines in The Lord of the Rings is the development of friendship and brotherhood between Legolas and Gimli. Now, Legolas is an elf and Gimli is a dwarf. And these two groups of people in Middle-earth there, they have, there, there's hostility between them. And, and, and the movies do, do, do a good job at, at, at developing the storyline between these two groups of people. Remember, Gimli and Legolas are part of the, of the fellowship, and, uh, but they're two different kinds of people, and, and, and there's a lot of butting of heads. And the books actually bring this out a lot more and, and, and more beautiful, I think, than the movies. But the movies do a good job at, at showing this. And, and, and by the end of the movie... You have these two, these two guys who are, who are utterly opposed to each other. They are friends and they are brothers. And they are serving and, and, and united underneath the banner of the king. And then these two, uh, they go right off into the west together. And it's really a beautiful story of how two groups of people who are at ends and at odds with one another can come together in friendship and brotherhood. It's a great storyline, and it's very thoroughly biblical, because that's what we have coming here in the passage. In our passage this morning, brethren, we have, we have Paul, and he's dealing with the deepest divide in human history, Jew and Gentile. And this divide between Jew and Gentile uh, comes, and, 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 and uh, Paul explains how there's a radical transformation that happens because of the cross of Christ and what He does with these two groups of people, uniting them into one body and being reconciled together and to one another through the cross. That's what the Gospel does. That is the power of the cross of Christ. Uniting the peoples of the world. And we're going to uh, go through this more as we look at this passage here. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, 11 to 22 is built upon 2 to 10. These are, these are linked together. You get the therefore right there in verse 11. This is, these, are, these sections are actually quite similar. Remember when Aaron preached in verses 1 to 9, we, we were all dead in our sin, right? And uh, our trespasses and sins in which we once walked uh, to one, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, all these things. We were, we were dead in sin. And God, by His mercy, makes us alive in Christ. And so you could say uh, that 
1 to 10 deals more vertically between us and God. We're spiritually dead, unable to do anything God makes us alive. And then in verses 11 to 22, we deal more horizontally. What is God doing amongst the peoples of the world to unite us together? And specifically, He's dealing with the Gentiles. Yes, it's true. You, plural, we're all dead in sin, Jew and Gentile. Now He's going to deal with specifically the Gentiles. You Gentiles, remember. And then He goes into all these different things here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to work through this under these three headings. We have the plight of the Gentiles, separation from God. We have the solution, the blood of Christ, and then the result, it's peace. Peace is brought about. The plight, this is verses 11 and 12, that they are separated, we were separated outside, we'll look at this in a minute. The solution is in, is in verse 13. Those who have been, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then the result is peace, verses 14 to 18. So with that in mind, brethren, let's go ahead and work through this passage here. Verse 11, Therefore remember, based upon all I just said, verses 1 to 10, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul says here, remember. Remember. Not, not, not to remember so that you could soak and wallow in your, in your former life, but recall what great things God has done for you and be glad. Remember what God has done that it might produce grateful worship amongst us, brethren. Grateful worship. Remember what David said in Psalm 103? He said, forget not all his benefits towards you. Don't forget don't forget what God, He has forgiven your sins. He heals all your diseases. And He goes in through all these different benefits that God has. Don't, don't forget. You get it in Psalm 77. This is a lament. And I, we're not going to go there. You can go there later. Psalm 77 is a lament. The psalmist is questioning the love of God, questioning the graciousness of God, questioning the steadfast love of God. He's in pain and turmoil. And he says, I will recall the mighty deeds of the Lord. I will remember what God has done. And brethren, for us, recalling God's work in the past gives us confidence in the present and in the future. We have to remember. Remember what God has done for you. That it would strengthen you. That it would put steel in your spine to press on. Even in the midst of suffering and trials and hardship. Remember that God is good and He's already done great things from you, for you. He has saved you. He will most certainly protect you and watch over you and care for you. So Paul retells it. He says, remember, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. These Gentiles, they lacked circumcision. Now this is important. This is important. Circumcision was the distinguishing mark between Jew and Gentile. It was the great contributor to the tension. In Genesis 17, uh, you have where uh, God makes the, the covenant with Abraham, 
And a sign of that covenant was circumcision. It was a sign of the covenant. And what began to happen is that the Jews said, essentially, if you don't have circumcision, you're not one of us. And if you're not one of us, then you're not God's people. You are outside of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Because circumcision was the sign of that. And if you're outside of that, you're not God's people. And what's happening is that in Paul's day, they're being called the uncircumcision. This is a derogatory word. This is not something uh, nice to say to people, and it highlights the tension here. Remember, remember what David said to Goliath as he came, comes out on the battlefield? Or, or, or remember David came, and, and there's Goliath, and he's you know, uh, mocking and blaspheming God, right? And remember what David says? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? It's not, that's, that's not a, a, a nice compliment to, to, to Goliath. Who is this guy I think he is? This outsider. And he goes out there and he crushes his head and prays the Lord. But it's just to highlight here that, that, that this, is, this is a derogatory word here. And they're still being called this. They're still being called. He says, remember you, Jim. Remember, he's writing to the church here, the Christians. So this is what they call you. This is this tension in uh, the New Testament, I think, uh, comes to uh, its, its height in Acts 15.1, when some of uh, the teachers came from Judea and were teaching the brothers in Acts 15.1. You can actually turn there. It's only a few pages to the left. You can see what this became here, this idea of circumcision. Acts 15.1 It says, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, listen, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You need circumcision. You need to abide by the law in order to be saved. Now we know as, as, as the rest of the Bible explains, that is a great error. That is error. That is wrong. And Paul deals with this in a number of places. Galatians, uh, Romans 4, Colossians, uh, uh, a little bit here in Ephesians. It's not stated a lot here, but it, it's not really his point to elaborate here. But he deals with this in other places. That in fact, no, you no, to be amongst the people of God, you come in by faith. Paul says that, that it's neither circumcision uh, means nothing nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. That's Galatians chapter 5. So this is a problem here. And I find it interesting that, uh, and of course this, this, this caused him to be separate from God's people. We're going to deal with this in a second more. But it's interesting that, that, that in Islam, this is still uh, really important. Are you circumcised? I remember when you know, Sierra and I would do evangelism uh, amongst uh, a lot of these, this, these, these Muslim communities in Hong Kong, and these men would always ask me this. Always. Are you circumcised? Are you circumcised? What does it matter if I'm circumcised? Well, Moses said you need to be circumcised. Well, Moses also said that circumcision is of the heart. Are you born again? Do you know Christ? I mean, this was so important for them to distinguish from them. 
this, this idea of circumcision, it, it just blew me away. It was really, just really interesting. That's just kind of an aside here. But, 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 but what Paul is preparing these readers for is, remember, you're not circumcised. And according to, to, to the law, you're outside. You can't come in here. And he's preparing his readers here to know how they did become full participants of God's household. It's not through circumcision. It was through faith in the blood of Christ. And then he goes on, so not only were they not circumcised, he says, remember that you were at that time, and then he lists these five things here that separated them, that the, the, the further plight of the Gentiles. Remember that you were separated, you were alienated, you were strangers, you had no hope, and you were without God in the world. Five things here. Five things. Now this all has to do with their position. Right? I want you to think positionally, outside, separated, stranger. Do you see the position here? You're, you're, you're outside. In the first part of Ephesians 2, it, it, it was all spiritually. That was the obstacle. You're spiritually dead. And now here, you Gentiles, which would include us, you were outside. You were separated. You can't be part of God's people if you are separated from Christ. That's the first thing he says here. Remember that at that time you were separated outside. Brethren, if you're outside of Christ, remember we, we, we went over this in, in chapter 1. To be in Christ is where all the blessings flow. Right? Remember, remember all, those, all those blessings in chapter 1? Those come to those who are in Christ. So to be outside of Christ is to lack all of those things. That is the greatest plight of anybody, is to be outside of Christ. That's why Paul puts it first. Remember, you were outside. You were not in Christ. And not only that, you were unaware of all the promises of the Messiah. Remember, the Scriptures came to the Israelites, the Jews. The Jews had the Scriptures. They had the oracles of God. The Gentiles, they didn't know about the promises. They didn't know Genesis 3.15, that there was going to be a, a, a seed of, 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 of Eve to come and crush the head of the serpent. They never had that promise. They never had the promise of Genesis 49, that this king, this Messiah, this snake crusher would come from the line of Judah. They didn't have that. They didn't have any of the promises that it would come from David's line. And you think of all the great promises in, in, in Isaiah about the coming serpent. They didn't have any of that. They were separate. They were outside. Outside of all of it, positionally removed, they were in the dark. It says that they were alienated. Again, distance. An alien is a non-citizen. To be an you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were not a member. You had no privileges, no rights. You were outside, distant. Paul says later in Ephesians four that. Unbelieving, the unbelieving Gentiles, those that are still unbelieving, are alienated from the life of God. And to be alienated from the commonwealth of Israel has something to do with being outside their way of life, outside their political body, outside the theocracy, outside of the group. You're an alien. You don't belong. You can live here, but you don't get equal rights and equal status here. They were alienated. At that time... In the past, they were also strangers. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Now, to be a stranger is to not be in the know. It's like being similar to an alien. You're a stranger. You're not in the group. You're on the outside. And God made promises. 
He made promises through covenants that these Gentiles, before the coming of the Gospel, were, were, were in the dark of. In, in the dark. And remember, covenants, this is important for you to understand too, covenants communicate God's saving purposes. So he comes to Abraham and makes a covenant. And he says, hey Abraham, I'm going to give you all this stuff, this world, or, uh, well yeah, the world, land. I'm going to give you uh, uh, descendants as numerable as the stars. And in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's a promise. That's obviously fulfilled in Christ, but they didn't know that. They were strangers to those promises. Hey, David, remember 2 Samuel 7? David, I'm going to put one of your sons on your throne. He's going to reign forever. He's going to have an eternal kingdom. Ooh, who's that about? Well, that's about Christ. That's a promise. But Gentiles had no idea about this. Strangers. Hey, Jeremiah, I'm going to make a new covenant. We need a new covenant. And in this covenant, the law is not going to be coming from the outside. Demanding your obedience is going to be written on your heart. So then obedience is going to well up from within. I'm going to forgive your sin and remember them no more. I will be your God and you shall be my people. We've got a new covenant coming. Oh, a lot of promises here. Forgiveness of sins. Forever. They didn't know about that. They're outside of the promises. They're strangers to this. And then you can think, okay, if you're outside of all of this and you don't have any idea about the Messiah, what do you think is going to happen? Look at what he says. This is, this is built on each other. And then you have no hope and without God in the world. What a bleak situation that is. You had no hope. Not that you just had no hope, but you lived a life of hopelessness. You lived in hopelessness. That's how you could, you could translate it that way. You lived in a state of hopelessness and you were without God in the world. Bleak, to say the least. And brethren, there's two obstacles here that God overcomes in the gospel. You were dead in your sin. You were spiritually unable to do anything. And not only that, you were positionally outside. You had no idea what was going on. You Gentiles, at one time before the gospel came, before Christ came, you were in the dark. In the dark. Now, of course, brethren, God saved Gentiles in the Old Testament. Okay, we know that. But as a general whole, okay, they were excluded outside. Outside. Having no hope. And I want to just uh, pause for a moment here and just remind you, brethren, that there are still over 3 billion people in this world that have no access, no access to the glorious truths that we know, that we confess, and that we believe. They, don't, they are outside of Christ. They don't even know who Jesus is. Never heard of such a man. They are still in the dark. They are still strangers to the promises. They are still outside of the life of God's people. They are still alienated. They are still living in a state of hopelessness all over this world, brethren. I was showing my wife on this little map yesterday and saw all these unreached people groups all over the world. Very concentrated, as maybe you've heard, in the 1040 window. Northern Africa all the way through the Middle East. Right in that area. And it just blows my mind that there's still people 2,000 years after the coming of Christ that still have no idea how they could be saved. 
from their sin. None. I mean, brother, we, <laughs> we got to allow that to just penetrate into our hearts. We just have to, to some degree, we, 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 we've got to think about that. It should not be. <laughs> it should not be. That's why Christ commissions the church to go, to go and bring this gospel pertinent for us to do so. That's the plight, brethren. And it was not a good one. <laughs> it was not a good one. Paul's reminding these Gentiles here, your, your plight was bleak. It was not good. And what's the solution? But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once, once before, before one time you were far off, you've been brought near. How? What's the solution? By the blood of Christ. Everything changes now. Everything hinges upon the but now. But now in, now in Christ, no more being far off. But now we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. It, it, it's a simple answer, but it's profound. It's profound. We were once far off. Why? Because we lived in sin. This is what sin does, church. Sin separates you from God. It separates us. We lived in it. We were separated from... Remember Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. They're having fellowship and communion with God. They sin and rebel. And what happens? You got to go. You're out. You got to get distance now. You've sinned. Out of the garden. And then Cain, he kills his brother Abel. What happens to Cain? He's got to go out farther. Go out east into the wilderness. You got to go. Sin separates us from God, brethren. And the rest of the Bible really answers that question. How is mankind going to come back into the garden to dwell in God's presence and have fellowship? How is that going to happen? How could you and I, as sinful, unclean humanity, dwell with the holy God? You can't. He'll kill you. But we can now. Why? Because of the blood of Christ. Because of the substitutionary death of Christ on our behalf, church. That's what was accomplished for the peoples of the world. Not just for the Jews, for the world. This is what Jesus is doing. He's gathering in the peoples of the world. And it's His blood, brethren, that, that, that cleanses us. It atones for our sin. It satisfies the wrath of God. It purifies us. And now by faith, we could be brought near. Near. Now let me just, uh, if, I was, if I can underline this twice and bold it here. All the way near. Okay, you follow me here? It's not you can only come halfway in. We can come all the way in and sit and at, at the king's table and have fellowship with the holy God now. We are seated with, we read that when Aaron preached. We are seated with Christ. That's pretty near. <laughs> Sitting next to him. Ruling. Rule. We have been brought all the way in. That's why when Jesus died, the, 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 the veil of the temple was torn. We all get access now. When before, only one man could get access, and that was only about one time a year. Now, by the blood of Christ, we can all come near. As near as you like, brethren, all the way in. He brings you near because He loves you. He loves you. 
When you bring someone near to you, it is a symbol and a sign that you love them, right? Okay, so we had a Bible study, if you remember, on, on, on showing Christian affection, right, toward one another. Greet one another with a, with a holy kiss, right? And, and, and Nick did a good job at explaining uh, what that means for us in 2023 here in Vegas. And, uh, but, but, but Christian affection, right? Giving someone a warm hug. What are you doing? You're bringing them near. Why? Because you love them. Now, to varying degrees, okay, watch. Now, now I bring my children near, and I cuddle them and snuggle them and smooch them on the cheek and all that. I bring them near. Why? Because I love them, right? Now, now, husbands and wives, this is the pinnacle of being brought near. You're, you, 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 you're brought near to your wife in intimacy. Why? Because you love one another. You see that? You bring people near because you love them with a holy hug, so to speak, right? And then by varying degrees, God brings you near, you who are far off because He loves you. Now to have fellowship with Him and communion with Him, all because of the blood of Christ. And we could come in. And we could come in. And what a joy that is for us, church. What a joy that is. And it's through the cross. It's through the cross that Christ is gathering to himself, the peoples of the world. That was the purpose of it. Remember what uh, we read there in Revelation 5? It's by your blood that you ransomed people for God from every, every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, making them a kingdom of priests that they would rule. Rule. Remember what Jesus said in John 12? I, when I am lifted up, will draw all peoples to myself. That's the purpose of the cross, is to go and get the nations. All of them. Every tongue, every tribe, every people, every language, to gather them in. Remember what Jesus said in John 10, in that, in that passage of, 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 of the Good Shepherd? He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in. That's us Gentiles. So that there would be how many flocks? One or two. One flock. And how many shepherds? One shepherd. Gathering in the peoples of the world. And that's a great promise for us. It's a great promise, brethren. And in Christ, there's no distinction. Romans 10, 12. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is how Jesus brings you near. By His own blood. By His own blood. All of us in together. Now what is the result of that? And then Paul fleshes this out. 14 to 18 here. The result of it is peace. This is what he says here. For, verse 14. He Himself. Now notice here, the emphasis upon Christ. Remember in chapter 1, it was all what God was doing through Christ. It was in Him. Through Him, by Him, God the Father doing all these things through Christ. Here the emphasis is upon Christ. What Christ is doing. He Himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that for the purpose He, he might create in Himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. And 
he might reconcile us, Jew and Gentile, both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came, Christ, and preached. Peace to those who are far off, and peace to those who are near. The emphasis is upon the work of Christ, what He is doing. He's bringing peace with one another and peace with God. He is our peace. He gives peace, and in Him we have peace with God and with one another. Now, how is He doing this? First, first He's, he's bringing peace to one another. How, how did He do that? Well, it says here in verse... Uh, 14, that he did this by breaking down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. This is how he's bringing peace. Brethren, the law was a fence. It was a fence that separated Jew from Gentile. What the law did was prevent Gentiles from having full access, equal status among God's people. And Paul links it to a wall of hostility. The law brought hostility between Jew and Gentile. It brought hostility, this, this wall metaphorically, physically, theologically, socially, all of it, it brought hostility. It separated. It separated the people. And Paul says it's been abolished. It's been set aside. It's been nullified is a good word for it as well. Nullified. Become obsolete, he says in other places. It's been, it's been taken away. This barrier, this barrier, brethren, between Jew and Gentile that brought hostility is gone. It's gone. And what's the purpose of removing it for? that he might make one new man in himself in place of the two, so making peace. That's the purpose. And now in Christ, what does Paul say all over the place? There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. But Christ is all and in all. There's neither circumcised or uncircumcised, but Christ is all. I want to give you an example of this hostility. This is in the New Testament here. Open up to Acts 21. I want to show you this. About this hostility. Now think with me. Acts 21. That's, is that close to Acts 1 or far away from Acts 1? Far away, right? Yeah, right? So, so we're all the way out here to Acts chapter 21. Jesus came kind of a long time ago, so to speak, right? He came, He died, He resurrected, He gave the Spirit. They're out preaching the Gospel. Paul got saved, right? He's out planting churches. This is after, just for some context, this is after Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Remember, he spent about two or three years there. This is after that. This is after the discussion with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. And I want to read a few verses here, starting in verse 27. Now, this is Paul arrested in the temple. When the seven days Rome was completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him, Paul, in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him crying out, Men of Israel, help! 
This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks uncircumcised. This is what they're accusing him for. He even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen, now notice this here, Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And then the story goes on. They're beating Paul. The Romans had to come in and save him. Paul gets a, uh, a platform to speak with these people who want to kill him for bringing an uncircumcised Gentile into the temple. You can't do that. You see the, 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 the dividing wall of hostility. You can't do that. And they want to kill him for it. And then he gets a little bit of time. He, you see there in, in 37, Paul speaks with the people. And then he gives this whole testimony here. And I want to just jump ahead to 2221. And Paul says this, And he said to me, Jesus, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. They were willing to listen to him all the way until he said, Jesus sent me out to the Gentiles. They said, Ah, oh, we're done with this. You're, you kill this man. He's done. You see the hostility here. And do you not think here that Paul has this in mind when he's writing five, seven years later? Remember Trophimus, I brought you into the temple. Or he didn't actually. They just accused him of doing it. And they wanted, you, they wanted me dead. This is the dividing wall, Ephesians, that God destroyed. This is the hostility that is no more in Christ. No more of this. It's gone. It should be gone. It wasn't gone. Trophimus was a, uh, a believing Gentile. He was Paul's travel companion. You can read about him back in uh, Acts 20. But he's a, he's a believer. And they're saying here, you can't bring him in here. You're excluded. You can't come in here. That's the dividing wall. That's the hostility. And you just think of Trophimus. Well, it's okay, Trophimus. You can't go inside this temple. God's going to destroy it and judge it, and He's going to build a new one. He's going to build a new temple built up of spiritual stones that Aaron's going to preach on next week. It's going to be a new house of God made of Jew and Gentile, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We're going to get to that uh, next time in Ephesians. But that, that's just one example of the hostility that the cross of Christ has come to put to death. The enmity. No more among God's people. And this is imperative for us. All of these, uh, all this teaching here in Ephesians chapter 2 is setting us up for all these commands later on in Ephesians about maintaining unity. You see how we can maintain unity? Because there's now no more distinctions. We're one body. We're one people. Now, 
Paul is going to say in chapter 4, now go maintain unity. You have unity, so maintain unity. The dividing wall of hostility is gone. You're one new man in Christ. The law has been set aside. Now be one people and walk in unity. It's imperative for us to remember that, brethren. And you can walk in unity. You can walk in love toward one another. Why? Because you're one new man. <laughs> you're a new people for God. It's what Christ has come to do. I was talking with... Um, uh, I, I, I brought him up before, but um, his name's Samip in Nepal. And you know, maybe you've heard of the Hindu caste system. And you have high class, or high caste, and you have low caste. And you're born into these families. It's these social class distinctions. And if you're a high caste uh, Hindu, you have all these privileges. You have all these rights. And you're born into that. It's the only way you can get in. You're just born into it. Or you have low, low caste, C-A-S-T-E. Low caste, the untouchables, the Dalits. Yes. And, and, and they have no rights. They got to work all the hard jobs. They're poor. And I, and I was asking him how he's had to deal with this in the church and what he's seen there. And I was uh, voice messaging him this week, just asking him about it. Because we had talked a little bit about it when I visited there. And, you know, he said, brother, it's sad because I still see in a lot of the churches this distinction being made between high social class people and low social class people, especially in marriage. The high caste won't give their son or daughter to the low caste uh, in marriage. And he said that it just breaks his heart because this text teaches that the gospel should shatter that. And he said, praise the Lord, in his own church, he hasn't had to deal with this. He hasn't seen a lot of this. There's been good unity. That's what the gospel does, brethren. It comes in and destroys those distinctions to make us one people in Christ. And that's, that's how it should be. That, that, that is walking in, uh, in light of the gospel, making no distinction. Remember when... Uh, Get that story in Galatians chapter 2 where uh, Paul says that Peter, remember he rebukes Peter to his face in front of everyone. Remember the story when uh, Paul, Paul, Paul says there that Peter would sit and eat with Gentiles, which the law, you can't do that. Uh, they're unclean. You can't eat with Gentiles. But, but, but Peter would sit and eat with Gentiles, and then when the circumcision party came, he would remove himself lest that they would ridicule him for eating with Gentiles, walking contrary to the law. And what does Paul do? He rebukes him to his face in front of everybody. And he says that even Barnabas got sucked into their hypocrisy. They're dealing with this. And Paul says that that is walking contrary to the Bible, walking contrary to the gospel. There's no more of that. There's no more of these distinctions. The, the, the law has been moved aside. We are one people in Christ. That's walking, or, or, or for us to, to, to live like that is walking in step with the gospel, making no more distinctions. And secondly, here, the, the cross of Christ brings peace because it reconciles us both to God. His death reconciles, Paul says, both people. Both of us need reconciliation. All of us here need reconciliation to God, and God brings that. 
Christ brings that. And that's how He makes peace, is we're both reconciled to God. That's verse 16. And He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is important, because without reconciliation to God, we have no reconciliation one to another. You've got to have the vertical and the horizontal. You can't have one without the other. If you're reconciled to God, you ought to be reconciled to one another. And if you're reconciled to one another, you can only have that if you're reconciled to God. This is what the cross brings. Peace. The, 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 the hostility is killed. That's what Paul's ministry was all about. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul preaches, be reconciled to God. And in his reconciliation, we can be reconciled. That's how it comes about. That's why I said it's not about peace treaties and peace agreements. It's, it can't happen that way. And as we go out, brethren, and we speak the gospel to people, we have a message of reconciliation, and we have a message of peace, of peace, peace with God and peace with one another. And that's what Paul says here. He says, Christ came and He, verse 17, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Christ came and preached peace. Now what Paul's doing here is he's alluding to those chapters uh, or, or the, the, the Old Testament reading from, from Isaiah 57. When peace, peace to those who are far and those who are near. Paul's alluding to that passage there. But what's really important now is that this peace doesn't just go out to the, uh, to the Jews. It goes out to Jew and Gentile. Those who are far off, the message is peace. You can come. You can be reconciled to God. Those who are near, the message is peace. You can be reconciled to God. Peace. And I want you to think about this. And um, I want to maybe just close here. Go to, over, to, over to John 20. I want to show you something here. Um, and that I found to be quite encouraging. Now in John 20... Uh, this was the other passage that Sergio read. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. And you see what he came and said to the disciples in verse at, right at the end of verse 19. He came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now you can just read that and go, okay, yeah, that's fine. That's just like a standard greeting. You know, whatever. He says the same thing to Thomas. Eight days later, he came in. Same message. Peace be with you. I want you to think about something here. The message of Christ to His disciples is one of peace. Now, why is that a big deal? Think about what they did. They fled. They denied Him. Peter renounced Christ three times. And the first message... The first words out of the mouth of Christ and His disciples is peace to you. Peace. Not a rebuke. Not a, not a message filled with guilt. Where'd you go? You all fled. Peter, you've denied me three times. No, 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 no. Peace to you. <laughs> peace. What a radical message of reconciliation that Christ accomplished on the cross. Brethren, peace. Peace would be the message 
for us as God's people. When the kingdom comes, reconciliation and life flow out from God and bring peace to the world. That's what the cross accomplishes. And Christ, the great preacher of peace and the prince of peace, He comes and He preaches peace. We could have peace. Forgiveness of sins before God. That is so encouraging. That is so encouraging. No more guilt. No, we can walk in guilt as a Christian, brethren. You could walk in it. You failed. Christ comes and says, Peace. I've reconciled you to God. You could have peace. Shall we have peace? Well, we talked about it on Friday in the Bible study. When the Spirit comes, what's the result of the Spirit in Isaiah 32? Peace. The fruit of righteousness is peace. Peace upon the world, brethren. And that's what Christ is doing. He has come and He has made the two distinct peoples one, bringing peace. And that's got to be a message that we take out to the world. How is peace going to happen? Well, Christ offers you peace in the Gospel. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. you got to come. you got to come. And then in light of that, brethren, we live in peace with one another. We live in light of what God said in Isaiah chapter 9, that this child to be born called the Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. It will increase. The world will become more peaceful. <laughs> doesn't look like it. But we've got to walk by faith and trust the Scriptures. Let's pray to that end, church. Pray to the end that God would grant us peace. That God would grant this world peace and it would come through the cross of Christ. Through the cross of Christ. Making one new man, one new body in place of the two. Let's pray.